The text before us is Romans 9, or 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. We, we began looking at this section last week, and I got through um, verse, verses 6 through, through 8, and, and, then, and then we kind of we, we, we stopped there, just ran out of time last week. But I want to, b- before we look at it, it's critical that we look at it in the light of just the heart of where we're at in Romans. Um, Throughout the book of Romans, in the first several chapters, you, you just see just incredible doctrine that comes forward. Um, he shows us so clearly the depth of our depravity. I mean, he just, he makes it so clear that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none that seek after him. He shows us just the weight of our sin. And then, and then from there, he, he brings us to a place of seeing God and his holiness and brings us to a place of seeing that we are saved, we are justified, we are brought into the kingdom, not because of our works, but because of grace that comes to us by faith, that we, through our faith and by faith alone, that we're saved. And so it it is just absolutely critical that before we get to this particular section, that we understand that our salvation is just the greatest gift ever that comes from God to save us in it is totally a result of grace. Um, you, you can't help but come to Romans chapter 12 after seeing those first 11 chapters and just love grace. We love grace. We love the gospel. Not only do we see that our sins have been totally and completely removed, but it has been replaced with righteousness. We just sang a song. We closed our worship time just now with singing the chorus, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. The, the depth of, of, a, of, of a chorus like that, he paid it all. The way that should translate into our minds is all the wrath that we deserved. Eternity in hell, the eternity apart from him. A payment that we had no ability in and of ourselves, no matter what we did to pay, he paid for us. He became sin for us. Sin had left a a crimson stain. Sin had made it so that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Sin had left such a stain that, that it was impossible for us to ever approach him. Sin had left such a stain upon us that we deserved fully the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God forever and ever. And then to think that he's washed us as white as snow. Without sin, made perfectly righteous, not based on anything that we could ever do. To think that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who hope in the gospel, right now, at this moment, God sees you as perfectly righteous. If, if you live the most incredible life, just single-minded, serving him, loving one another, um, if you live in such a way in which you're using all the gifts that God has given you, if you abhor sin and you cling to what is good for the duration of your life, he won't see you as more righteous at the end of your life than he does right now. That is so critical as we approach a text like this. Because the possibility for us is to read something like this, be convicted by something like this, and, and then go from that place to, okay, here's how I, I got to do these things. I fail so miserably. I got to do all these things. And we just start going in that man-centered way of here's all the things that I need to do rather than looking at it and saying, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
He paid it all. Now, as a result, I, I owe him everything. We see that here in, in, in Romans chapter 12 where he begins by, in verse 1 by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I plead with you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just give all of yourself to him. All the, that you have, all of your energy, your affections, give yourself entirely to him. It's the only reasonable thing to do. And so we, we look at it and the, there might be those that would think of that and say, that is just so incredibly fanatical. And yet for someone who looks and says, I deserve eternity in hell. I was covered in sin. I was dead in my sin. I was blind. And he, he died for me. And he caused my blindness to be removed and caused me who were dead to be made alive. And by faith, he has saved me. His grace has been poured upon me. I've been made righteous. I get to spend all eternity with him. And I get to live with him and enter into the joy of the Lord with him. And he's Bless me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And we come to a place of just being so utterly and completely in love with him that we say, okay, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It's not fanatical. It is just joyful worship with every ounce of my being towards him. And when you think that way, it just becomes a joy to live for him. I'm not going to be more righteous then than I am right now. And so I just, I love him. He's my savior. He is my righteousness. He has done everything for me. And so all to him I owe. And I'm going to live for him. That way of thinking creates a worshipful church, a joyful church, a free church, a church that, that, is not under this yoke of bondage and legalism or trying to put ourselves back under the law again as if we have not been freed from it. But it just causes just joyful, joyful Christian living. We, we sing praises to him, not with frowns upon our faces, but we sing praises to him with smiles on our faces and joy in our hearts. And we go to the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel and it's just fueled by worship and joy and love and adoration towards Christ and we go into our workplace and make that our mission field because we love Christ and we just want to shine so brightly that others might know him as well. And so it's with that heart of just living for him and loving him and seeing that he paid it all that we come to Romans chapter 12 verse 9. So he calls us here to let love be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Practical Christian living for us. As we look at our lives, he begins by looking to the church and say, let your love be without hypocrisy. The way that you live, the way that you conduct yourselves, may it be from the heart and may it be without hypocrisy. May it be sincere, genuine. The word sincere comes from, from a, two Latin words that mean without wax. Because there was a time in which they would make these, these pots. And if the pots had cracks that were in them, they would take wax and cover the, the pots with wax on the inside to make it so they wouldn't leak. But then as soon as they came to, in contact with heat or other elements, at that time, they would, they would leak. And so the word sincere came, meaning without wax. Genuine, signifying that the quality was good, that it was real. That's what our love is supposed to be like. Sincere. Not fake. Not pretend. You hear John say, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3.18. Don't love just in word or in tongue. It's possible for us to, to, to be Christians who go about our lives and just like, you know, like, oh, yeah, I love the church. I love these people who are around me. I pray for you. And yet, it's just hypocritical. It's not coming from the heart. It's not genuine. It's not sincere. It's not real. It's simply in word or in tongue. 
But God would say, don't love that way. You hear people sometimes say, well, you know that I love you. And yet, it's by their own broken definition of what love is. Not when you look at at scripture and and it, it says things like, love is patient. Love is kind. It goes through and, and it's not proud. God gives us definitions of what love should look like. Husbands that say, well, you know that I love you. And yet scripture calls husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Gave himself up for her. And so we're to look at our love for our wives and say, what is it supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like the way Christ has loved the church. It's supposed to be like that. That that's our aim. So we look at Christ and we see how does he love the church? Does he, does he leave us? Does he forsake us? Is he harsh and brutal with us? Is he cruel towards us? No, he's not at all. We see him as always being patient. We see him as always being kind. We see him just clothe himself with humility. We see him even lay down his life for us to where husbands, when you say, I love my wife, that is what it is supposed to be like as a Christian. Not saying one thing, but acting in a way that's just so radically different than that. Our love, brothers and sisters, is to be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means literally um, without mask, and you use in, in, a, in a Greek theater. Um, a Greek theater, you could picture they, they have their masks that they wear, and see it where to not be hypocritical is to not have that mask on. You, you say one thing, but it's not real. The ugly face behind it looks radically different than what love really is. And so God says, may it be genuine, may it be real. Something that's just so important for us, because you look at the way he talks to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were ones in which they would say one thing. Their outward appearance was one way, but inside their hearts, it was just radically different than that. God hates hypocrisy. He says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint, of anise and cumin, and, and, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of, of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, for indeed you appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." You, you appear one way to people, but inside it is just radically different. And God's looking at it. He knows everything about these scribes and Pharisees. I mean, they're there like, okay, we're going to tithe. We'll tithe of everything. God just says like, you, you, you tithe and, and you do these things. But the weightier matters, justice, mercy, faith, that should have been there as well as the tithing. But both, you, you think that you've done everything. You clean the outside of the cup, but it's, it's full of extortion and self-indulgence inside. You do whatever you can to please yourself, but on the outside, you look a different way. And so God calls us in this, let love be without hypocrisy, without it. Pure, genuine, sincere, real this is important for us as a church if, if, if we desire to be a healthy church that truly is building each other up if we desire to be a healthy church that shines brightly in this community if we're to be making disciples and 
encouraging one another. We need to genuinely love each other. Genuinely love each other. He goes from there to say, to say, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. God hates evil and we have been called to hate it too. Abhor the things that are evil. Cling to the things that are good, that are right. As I read through this, I thought, next Bible verse for my little guys to memorize. I I want them to memorize this verse. Abhor the things that are evil. Cling to the things that are good. I want, I want them to think that way. You, you, you hear kids sometimes saying, well, how much can I do and still be okay? Like as a Christian, how far can I go? As a youth pastor, you talk with kids. Okay, so with this girl that I'm dating, what is, how far, what is okay? And what kind of movies is it okay to go see? And they want laws, they want us to, to say, okay, well, you can do this, but you can't do this, and you can do this, but you can't do that. But I, I would so much rather have it be that we, as, and it's not just youth, it's adults too, trust me, it's all of us. But have us think, what would bring the most glory to Christ? What would please him the most? What would exalt him the most? What would cause the world to see that I treasure him above everything else? What would be the most that glorifies and exalts him? Not how much and how far can I go and still be okay, but I want to abhor the things that are evil. I want, to, I want to hate it. I want to just remove myself so far from it. I pray that the Holy Spirit uses this verse to strike our hearts today. That we would genuinely abhor would be just abhorrent to us evil things. Think of just the pornography industry. And the number of Christians that fall into that sin. I look and I think, God help people in our church to just hate that stuff. That it'd be just abhorrent to them. To to, to think that whoever it is that you're looking at, that's somebody's granddaughter and some grandma someplace is just praying for her. Some dad someplace is just weeping. Or mom is just weeping. Youth pastors weeping over it. Someone's praying for them and and to think that there's those even within the church that try to find pleasure in that kind of stuff. Looking and and, and saying, I don't want to be a part of any of these things. And it's not just hard pornography that we should abhor. It's other things that we bring into our lives that being in a society like the one that we live in, being in, in the place where what's on TV is just, it just stuff that, that, that is just wicked and evil. To not have the mindset, well, it's not that bad. You know, the movie's okay. It only has like six really bad scenes. But besides that, it's good storyline. I, I, I think of when God is referring to his people and he says they, they don't even know how to blush anymore. 
They don't even know how to blush. They forgot. They forgot how to blush. And to think that that could be us. Where there's things that we take in and see and are a part of or the way that we talk. And we've just totally forgotten how to blush. But for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who just clings to the gospel and we know that we've been saved from wrath to come and we know that we've been clothed with righteousness, it, it changes the way that we think to where we say, no, I, I abhor that stuff. I hate that stuff. I don't want anything to do with those things. I want to remember how to blush. I want to look and say, no, I don't, I don't want to walk that fence. I think of Lot so frequently when... You see people where, and you see it in yourself, I see it in myself, where you, you set up your tent on the, on the fringe, just in a place where it's just towards Sodom. It's just towards Sodom. You look, and, and, and when he's there saying, you can have all of the land, which land do you want to pick? And he picks the, the one that, that looks like it would be just the most fruitful, rather than Hey, I'm going to stay away from that because that, that's too close to Sodom. I, I would rather be someplace where it's just so much safer to be and where, where this would be far more glorifying for my family. And, and, and you watch a lot. He sets up, his tent, sets up his tent towards Sodom, and then you find him living in Sodom. Then you see him ruling within the gates of Sodom. And, and, and I could almost assure you that the whole way into Sodom, he was just justifying it. Oh, but we could be such a light there. We could go, it'd be so much easier. It'd be so much easier to be in that area. And then you look and you see what it did to his own heart. You see what it resulted with with his wife, where even when he's called to flee, she turns around with longing eyes towards Sodom and, and turns into a pillar of salt. You see what takes place with his daughters and the effect that it has on his family. And you look at it and and it began when he started looking towards Sodom. Just looking towards it. Setting up his tent there. Living in it. God help us to look and and have so much wisdom from God's word to say, I just want to abhor the things that are evil. I want to hate it. God calls us to that in Psalm 97 and verse 10. He says, you who love the Lord hate evil. If you love the Lord, hate evil. Just hate it. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. To hate the things that God hates. To hate evil. You see it in Proverbs 6 where in verse 16... It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Here's things that just God hates. A proud look. You you know that look, right? You've seen it? Maybe when you looked in the mirror. (laughs) Surely from somebody else you've seen it. Just that proud, that proud look. I, I, I could... I, I know that that is on my face. I, 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 I've told you this story, but I, I, I remember like being in Kiriandongo, Kenya at a refugee camp there for the Sudanese, and this guy kicks a soccer ball over the goal. It was a good kick. And the whole crowd, I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of people there. And, oh, whoa, because he kicked it so hard. And I said, why are they all so excited? Because he is the best football player here. I'm like, this is what I did. This was the look. Give me the ball. <laughs> Give me the ball. In my mind, I thought, they are going to be so impressed. <laughs> when I crack that ball further than the best guy at this refugee camp, they are going to be like, whoa, you know? And right before connection, I tore my quad worse than any injury I had ever had in my entire career. It, everything started turning black. I thought I was going to pass out. And, and when I went down to the ground, all I was thinking was, give me the ball. 
I knew, I was just, you know when you know, like, God just really spanked me really hard. <laughs> I knew it immediately. I was like, oh, I am so lame. Why did I do that? I didn't even stretch. I'm old. Why did I do this? I, <laughs> and not only that, but, like, the ball kind of, like, shanked off to the side. It wasn't even impressive. I, I pulled it before I even made contact with the ball. And so you look, and, and it's just that the proud look. God says, I, I hate that. A, a lying tongue, a lying tongue. Just, they don't tell the truth. They exaggerate everything or they just don't tell the truth. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. God says, I, I hate these things. Someone who comes into the church and desires to sow discord amongst us. So these things I hate. I hate it. We're to hate the things that God hates. It's a part of being a Christian to hate evil. You see it with Paul where he's there and just struggling with these things. And he says in Romans 7, for what am I doing? I don't understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. And then he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so you, you look in, in there's a struggle going on, and that's where we should be because we are always going to deal with sin until the Lord takes us home. That the way that we think about sin is just, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? I'm supposed to hate that thing. I'm supposed to hate that. What am I doing? The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate are the very things that I do. I hate that. I, I'm supposed to hate that. In all of us, as we struggle with sin, know that feeling. Why do I go towards that? I hate that thing. And that's where we're supposed to be. To hate the things that God hates. You see in, in 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O oh man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we are so good at just hiding that sin. I don't love money. I'm just a really good saver. I just want to save. And, and you just, I mean, saving's good. We should try it. You look and, and it's, it's a good thing to save. But honestly, like there, there could come a place where you just, it just becomes a God. I remember in college, there was a buddy of mine who would just say, you know, we'd go out to eat all the time and he'd say, I don't have any, I don't have any money. I'm not going to get anything. And I'm like, I'll buy you, I'll buy you dinner, man. Or I'll buy you lunch. If you don't have any money, I'll, I'll get it, you know. And this went on for months and months. <laughs> Go out. Oh, no, dude, I'll get it. Man. It's terrible. You don't have any money. After a while, I said, man, you work a lot, though. How do you not have money? Like, you, you work as much as I do. Like, oh, no, I, I take my paycheck, and I put it in my savings account, and then I pretend like it's not there. That was the last time I ever bought him lunch. I look and like, <laughs> I don't have to pretend mine's not there. It's gone. My money is gone. It goes to your lunches. But you, you look at it and it can be disguised in just, hey, I'm trying to be careful. But we honestly can get to a place where we think about it way too much. It becomes a God to us. It becomes far too important to us. And so God says, flee those things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, 
faith, love, patience, gentleness. The good things. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, Test all things, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And he says, And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, also, who also will do it. And then it says, brethren, pray for us. That that mentality of test all things, hold, hold fast to what is good. But then knowing it's God who is doing this and he'll do it in our lives. Pray for us. Pray that God would sanctify us completely. Continue to mold us and conform us into his image. Hating the things that God hates. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of, our Lord, of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Um, as a country, as a culture... We have gone far from hating those things. We have gone far from it. Our youth have come to a place of, well, why not live together before you get married? How else will we know whether we really are compatible or not? Um, Advertising just shows the heart of the idolatry that's there within us. Adultery has become a norm. Homosexuality it has become esteemed, not as an alternative lifestyle anymore, but honestly, it's become something that we are to embrace as a culture. When God says, no, it is sin. We can't become like the world when it comes to issues like fornication and idolatry and adultery and homosexuality. It says, nor thieves, nor Covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. This is the best news is about looking at the sin that all of us partook in. We might come across sometimes to people, it's so hateful that you say that homosexuality is sin, or that you say that you shouldn't commit fornication, or that you shouldn't do this, or there's so many rules, or so many things. And I look and just say like, God says these things are evil. God says in such were some of us, but we've been washed, we've been clean. The gospel is, is that God's come to forgive sins. Paul says, in whom I was chief. He's come to forgive these sins, and we love the gospel. But part of loving the gospel is to encourage the saints, abhor the things that are evil. Cling to the things that are actually good. Cling to him. Cling to the things that please him, that are right, that are holy. Cling to those things. I want my kids to know that verse. I want us as a church to think about that verse frequently. Abhor the things that are evil. Cling to the things that are good. In every area of our lives, can you imagine just if you thought that way throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, the, the fruit that could come forth from your life, the misery that you would save yourself from, just hate those things. Cling to the things that please God. You see that in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about those things. Meditate on those things. And make it something that's joyful worship. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Here he's calling God's people, us, the church. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another. Love one another with brotherly love. Be a family. There's different kinds of love that are referred to in Scripture. This particular one is brotherly love. Looking at it, and he's calling us love one another like like a family. The way that a family should care for one another. You look and I see it with my kids where they, they sometimes have their arguments. The other day, you, Natalie's three. She's tiny, but she's smart. The other day, she's just so upset. Natalie, what is wrong? What's wrong? Why are you crying? He is provoking me. (laughs) He's provoking me. Because we'll frequently say, Jonathan, do not provoke your sister. He's provoking me. Did you see Jonathan just smile? (laughs) And so you see that, but ultimately you watch them and... And they love each other. But we're to be like that towards one another. We're to love each other with brotherly love. Here the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write these things to us, the church. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Well, it just goes so far from the way that we typically think, isn't it? Our, our nature, our flesh is me first. What do I get out of this? But God says, no, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Prefer them. No, you take it. No, I want you to be blessed. In John 13, 35 Jesus says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, Peter say, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. With sincerity, with a pure heart. Love each other. It's something that we need to be praying for in our church. That we would have that kind of love for one another. With us, it's impossible. We live in a culture in which it is so easy to keep yourself isolated, keep yourself separate, not have to talk to people, be entertained by, by just TV or whatever it is that you want to do. We've made it so that it's possible to come into most churches and leave and never even be noticed by anybody and not have to talk to anybody. And yet... With God, all things are possible. With God, God can change our hearts to where we truly are kindly affectionate to one another, preferring one another over ourselves. Where we look and say, no, I want to bless them. I want to I bless them. This is what God has called us to, in honor, giving preference to one another. You see in Philippians 2 where it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's our example. So when the thought comes into our minds of, I'm not going to prefer them. I first have to take care of my needs first. Or, I'm not going to reach out to them in love. I don't like the way that they look at me. I don't like the way that they treat me. Why did he say that? Why would that guy talk to me like that? 
Do they know who I am? Do they know my education? Do they know how much money I make? Do they know my background? Do they know as if we're up here and then others are down here? And God just says, like, no, prefer them above you. You know, there's this great equalizer when you look at it. Like, no matter what kind of background you have or what kind of education you have or how much money you make or how good looking you are. I looked at Kelly and he's like, yeah. A proud look. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you go through and you look and, and I lost my train of thought, but you... My point was, was that there's this great equalizer, and that is that all of us deserve the wrath of God. It doesn't matter what your stature is. We all deserve God's wrath. Whoever we are here in this sanctuary, we all deserve God's wrath. And so you, you think like that, and you look at what we deserve, and you look at what God has done for us, and then you read passages like, in honor, giving preference to one another, prefer them. Refer them. Romans 12, 11, Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're not to be lagging in diligence. We're not to be lazy or consumed with self. We're to quickly go about serving the Lord. There is to be zeal in us as we serve. Not lagging in diligence. Not lagging in diligence. We've just talked last week about using the gifts that God has given us. Loving one another this week. Being kindly affectionate to one another. But God calls us, don't lag in diligence. In Ecclesiastes 9.10 it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. In the grave there's... None of those things. So, what you do now with your hands, do with all of your might, not lagging in diligence. We, we have become a very, a very lazy culture. Not everybody, but I think that we have become far more lazy than how things used to be at one point. Um, even just for me coaching soccer, I, I've, this is 20, I think I'm going on 24 years of high school soccer. Um, I, I, I've seen just a shift downwards over these years as far as how hard somebody is willing to work. And there are still some, but I think it's different than what it was before. And some of you who own businesses or manage people, you maybe see some of the same things. Um, Far more time spent on Facebook or sending text messages or being distracted with other things rather than working. I was listening to a sermon on this text this week and they said that they did a survey of the normal eight-hour day and how much work actually gets done in an eight-hour day. And the average was two hours worth of work was done by most employees in an eight-hour day as far as, like, solid work being done. So not only in the workplace, but also specifically here within ministry. Diligence. Not lagging in diligence. But fervent in spirit. Not only not being lazy, but our attitude as we do it, fervent in spirit. You see Paul say things like, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He is going hard. Fervent in spirit. The way that our heart is as we go about what God has called us to do in this life. With all of our might, but joy and fervency 
in our spirit, in our attitude, in how we do it, and what's going on inside of us. We're not lagging in diligence, but we're fervent in spirit as well. Through God's enabling, praying that way, Lord, help us serving, serving the Lord, serving him. In Colossians 3.23, it says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Do it heartily. Put your heart into it. In Romans 12.12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. I saw a message go to a member of our church this morning that had that verse in there. You go through hard times where it seems like, how do I get out of this? God tells me all things are going to work together for good, but how is this going to work together for good? And they just put Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope. It translates into my mind as far as Having joy in the hope of Christ. Having joy in a sovereign God. Having joy in a God who truly does work all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called. I rejoice in that. I rejoice in the hope of a sovereign God who is bringing about his purposes, who's working in me, molding me and conforming me into his image. I find great hope in that and joy in that hope. Patient and tribulation in the midst of things that come by our path that we just did not expect, patient in these times and trials and tribulation when attacks come against us and when circumstances come our way, being patient, looking at it and saying, this is not my home. My home is there and God is there. He's here with me and he is holding me. He is ministering to me and I could be patient during this time, but continuing steadfastly in prayer. Not stopping, but continuing to pray and pray and pray. No, people pray. We said that last week. People pray. They'll pray a prayer. Okay, I'm going to give this into your hands, God. But God says, no, continue steadfastly in it. Keep praying. Continue in it. Continue praying for one another. Continue praying for your own circumstances. Continue praying for one another. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That just conveys our, conveys our total and complete, utter dependence upon God. We pray. And then Romans 12, 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Having a heart that desires to just give. Having a heart that desires to look and say, there's a need here, let's help. Um, there was a family, there's a family at our church currently who had some family members that came into town that were not believers. And um, there has been meals that have been brought to this family, people who have come over to pray for them, people who have come over to care for them. And this family said to me, the, 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 the husband said, that you have no idea the witness that the church has been to my family. And family members desiring to come to church because they see the love that you have for them. We are to care for one another like that. Distributing to the needs of the saints. I think our typical mentality right now is, well, shouldn't the government do something about that? Isn't there some kind of program? Something that can help? And I, hey, we, we pay a lot of tax dollars towards those things. So let's take advantage of them when they're there. But that shouldn't be the first thing that comes to our mind. The first thing should be, how can we help? What can we do? How can we help at this time? And then given to hospitality, a heart to minister to all people, including a stranger who's in need. Given to hospitality. We just want to minister. We've begun this list here. We'll continue on as we continue to go through and finish up Romans chapter 12. But May we joy, joyfully, joyfully, joyfully do these things through his enabling that he might be glorified and that we, brothers and sisters, might be a very health, healthy church that is continually being built up by one another through the Holy Spirit working in us. Amen. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, once again, we love the gospel. We love salvation that has come to us by faith in what you have accomplished for us on the cross. The fruit of that is us giving our lives to you as living sacrifices, joyfully just giving ourselves to you in our entirety because we love you, we adore you. These verses we need, Reverence Bible Church needs these verses. We need your Holy Spirit to convict us and we need your Holy Spirit to cause us to love one another without hypocrisy. And we need to, to be in a place of abhorring the things that are evil and clinging to the things that are good. We need to be a church, Lord, who desires to minister to each other's needs and to be hospitable. We need to be a church who is just constantly caring for one another and doing it fervently. Um, diligence in it. Not with a man-centered, works-minded way of putting ourselves under the law again, but walking in the Spirit and joyfully doing these things because of complete adoration and worship towards you. May we do it in light of that. And now we come to you in worship. You have given us so many reasons to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth and with all that is within us. May we worship like that. And may this week, Lord, be filled with just hearts that are saturated with thankfulness. We are so thankful for this great salvation in which you have blessed us with. We're thankful for friends. We're thankful for family. We're thankful for our church. We're so thankful for our church. May you be exalted this week through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.